Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 330. And uh, man, I'm, I'm really excited. It's Tuesday morning, very, very early Tuesday morning. I uh, wanted to record yesterday. I started organizing my notes and I just, I took a lot of time to really kind of work through what I had to say and try to prepare everything and try to organize my thoughts and get it all out. Uh, I want to say, I want to apologize in advance to Tom Grassi, a good friend of mine, runs a Packers podcast. I don't believe Tom Grassi is going to like what I have to say in this episode. Um, and I think we're getting to the point where people have to decide whether they are a Green Bay Packers fan or an Aaron Rodgers fan. I don't necessarily know they are the same thing. We'll get to that in a moment. It's a good tease, I believe. Uh, but I want to first say thank you to NetSuite by Oracle. They have sponsored this episode. NetSuite by Oracle will help you run your business more effectively by putting everything all in one place. Uh, if you are a CEO or run a company that has a million dollars in annual revenue or more, and I know that some major owners of sports franchises have listened to this show, so hey, this is for you. Now, a quick disclaimer, uh, this product is not for startups or small companies. For example, my company, Strong Opinion Sports, we're way too small. We, it's like it's me and I, I hired my dad as my assistant. We're way, way, way a fraction of a size of annual revenue to work with a company like this and take advantage of what they have to offer. But again, if you are a CEO, they can help you run your company more effectively if you have a million dollars in annual revenue or more. What NetSuite will help you do is more effectively manage your business by putting everything all in one dashboard. I kind of talk about the car sometimes. If you were having to check your speedometer, your check engine light, or your fuel gauge, or your engine temperature, and you had to log in and log out of different programs to check each one of those things, that's ridiculous. You wouldn't drive your car that way. Why would you run your business that way? And the reality is that once your company matures to a certain size, you're going to outgrow QuickBooks. QuickBooks has limitations. You don't need to pay for multiple systems that give you information, maybe not necessarily when you need it. What you can do with NetSuite by Oracle is get everything when you need instantaneously. You can walk away from old, outdated programs and spreadsheets. You can skip the nonsense and upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. You can have everything all in one place. Finances, e-commerce, inventory, supply chain, HR. Everything and information on your company instantaneously. NetSuite wants me to tell you that you can join one of 24,000 other companies that use their service. If you are a person in the business world, if you're a CEO, you know, hey, NetSuite is phenomenal. I shouldn't have to tell you. I'm just reminding you, hey, go get their service. They're fantastic. In case you still don't believe them, you can go to netsuite.com opinion where they can and will prove to you their service is phenomenal. You can get a free product tour. They let you show you how they will benefit your business. Go to netsuite.com opinion to schedule your free product tour at netsuite.com slash opinion. Thank you to NetSuite. You guys are awesome. We got to pay the bills. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, we'll talk about Aaron Rodgers momentarily. Uh, but first, I want to talk about the bills in Kansas City because it's going to be very, very short. In the, uh, in the AFC Championship, the Kansas City Chiefs beat the Buffalo Bills 38-24. to And, uh, man... Oh, this game was so depressing and so awful. You know, I love good football. I didn't really care who won. I kind of rooted for the Bills. But at the end of the day, I really wanted a close, fun game. And it felt like the Buffalo Bills refused to make that happen. I was sitting on my TV going, like, in front of my couch, watching my TV going, like, what are you guys doing over and over and over again? 
They did so many things I just do not understand. And I watched the Buffalo Bills and went, I, that's a bad decision. That's a weird call. That's, I just was like over and over going, like, what are you guys doing? The number one problem I had with Buffalo against Kansas City is they kept kicking field goals. I'm like, do you not realize you're playing Kansas City? You're playing Patrick Mahomes. They're going to score touchdowns. You are not going to beat Kansas City by kicking field goals. You got to go for it on fourth down. And multiple times, they didn't go for it on fourth down. They played the conservative game, and it did not work for them. It didn't help them at all. The Bills had the ball fourth and goal on the two-yard line, 14 seconds before halftime. They're down 21-9. to Two-yard line. They kick a field goal. I'm like, wow, be aggressive. You're playing Kansas City. Do you want to go to the Super Bowl or not? And they, they did not have the aggressive gene in this game. Later on a fourth and three from the nine-yard line, again, they're down 24 to 12. They kick a field goal rather than go for it on fourth down. It was baffling to me. Happened in a total of three times. I'm watching the game going like, Buffalo, do you want to win? Like, you've had a great year. It's been so much fun. And this is how you finish off the year. Now, a lot more than that happened. First of all, you can't play timid or careful and beat Kansas City. It's just not going to happen. And you have to assume that every time Patrick Mahomes has the ball, He's going to score a touchdown. You need to score a lot of points to beat Kansas City. I, I just didn't understand the lack of aggression from Buffalo in this game. Now, some of the Bills' play calling was also frustrating. Uh, number one on the goal line, I so badly wanted Buffalo to run a bootleg, meaning you fake the run, you roll Josh Allen outside along the perimeter, so he's a threat to run the ball. On the goal line, that's fantastic. You got a quarterback who's a, a monster who can run, who can dive, who can run people over. And even if nothing else, it creates a threat where defenders have to watch him running and it might create more wind as throw the ball downfield on the goal line. They never did that. I was waiting and waiting and waiting and we never got it. I'm like, man, why, why is this not being called? And then number two, Buffalo had a repeated problem where they kept calling long developing plays. And I, I just was so con- like confused. Like, why are you not getting the ball out of Josh Allen's hands very, very quickly. Now, also, Josh was holding onto the ball too long. Aside from the play calling, Josh was simply holding onto the ball too long, running around, extending plays. And I, I thought Buffalo needed to call more quick hitters, some more quick game. They also simply could not beat Kansas City's man coverage. There was nobody open downfield. I, man, there were so many things. I'm watching the game going like, what? Why? 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 Uh, now, Josh Allen also had a bad game. Uh, there were some times where I thought he had people open underneath and he forced it downfield into coverage. There's an example against cover two where the corner carried vertically, the flat was wide open. He tried to force it into cover two. Defenders were out there. I'm like, what are you, that's not open, Josh. Like, take the easy wide open throw for a five yard out underneath. And uh, I think part of it might've been nerves. Maybe the moment was a big deal for him. The game to get into the Super Bowl. He didn't play like himself. He made bad decisions. He was inaccurate at times. Uh, not a good game from Josh Allen. Very disappointing. Now, credit to Kansas City. Their defense played awesome. I was impressed with that. Uh, they played a great game. I mean, really, the Bills were up 9 nothing at one point. Wasn't really because of Buffalo being... I mean, they had an opening drive for a field goal, sure. But then on the next drive, Kansas City drops a wide-open pass. Tyreek Hill dropped what would have been a huge gain on third down. Then McCole Hardman drops a punt. That gives Buffalo uh, first and goal. They score on first and goal. Really, the reason why Buffalo had a 9 nothing lead was because of Kansas City making mistakes rather than Buffalo being this awesome, outstanding team taking the lead early on. It was also really frustrating, by the way. The Chiefs tight end, uh, what am I, what's his name? Travis Kelsey. 
kept getting a free release at the line of scrimmage, meaning that Buffalo didn't jam him or touch him or hit him at all at the line of scrimmage. And Travis Kelsey shredded Buffalo. 13 catches, 118 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, so did Tyree Kill. But I, I just, the really frustrating thing with Travis Kelsey, I'm like, please, somebody, somebody jam. And Tony Romo was yelling it too. Somebody needs to jam him at the line of scrimmage. Nobody did. And, uh, man, I, I hate that this is the way Buffalo's season came to an end. It's really sad. Because Buffalo had this amazing year. They were a big... You know, we thought, I thought they were going to be good going into the year. But, man, Josh Allen was fantastic. They got all the way to the AFC Championship game. And I have it end the way it did with just a sour taste in my mouth with what I thought was a bad game plan. I didn't like it. I thought they were really unaggressive. I'm like, man, that's not the way to go out if you're Buffalo. I'd rather them go down swinging. It felt like they went down conservative, you know, <laughs> holding their water. I'm like, what? Guys, come on. Like, go... If you're gonna if you're gonna strike out, strike out swinging at the very least. It felt like Buffalo. If you're, it's a baseball analogy. They struck out looking like they just didn't even go for it. I'm like, what are you doing? It was so weird. The field goes on fourth down instead of going for it on fourth. That's gonna drive me nuts the whole offseason. I'm always gonna be like, man, that was just a weird. And I, I've said this all year. If you're gonna beat Kansas City, you have to go for it on fourth down. The Cleveland Browns didn't go for it on fourth and nine late in the game. Buffalo didn't go for it on fourth down the entire game. Like. Every team that plays Kansas City seems like they don't understand. Hey, by the way, you're playing Kansas City. And the only team that kind of recognized that all year was the Las Vegas Raiders. The one game they beat them. They went for it on fourth down. They're aggressive. They went balls to the wall and they beat them. So I I hope Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they watch the year's worth of film on Kansas City and can recognize, hey, if we're going to beat them, we got to go for it on fourth down. It drove me nuts. And uh, I, look, I still respect the year Buffalo had. It was fun to watch him. Josh Allen emerged to be an, a star in the NFL. He's already been awesome. Now he's he's broke out, had a breakout year this year. He's phenomenal. Uh, Buffalo will be back. Keep your eye. I'm excited to watch them next year. But I, I hated the way their season came to an end. Uh, but I will I will say again, I'm excited for the future in Buffalo. It's very very bright. Feels like their Super Bowl window is just beginning. They might keep their defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier. Looks like they're going to keep their offensive coordinator Brian Dable. I'm excited for the future in Buffalo. I just wish they'd gone out a little bit better way than they did in the AFC Championship game. I want to shift gears to the NFC Championship game. Ah, man. A lot to say here. Again, Tom Grossi, I apologize in advance. You're not going to like what I have to say. But hey, I hope you can still be friends. (laughs) We'll talk about what I have to say. In the AFC... Whoa, whoa. AFC. In the NFC Championship game... The Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat the Green Bay Packers 31-26. to And number one, we got to talk about the elephant in the room to start off. The, the big thing that you have to talk about if you're going to talk about this game is that the Packers have the ball fourth and goal from the eight-yard line with two minutes and nine seconds left. Down eight points. Tampa Bay was up 31-23. End of the game, fourth and goal, eight-yard line, and the Packers kicked a field goal. Like, oh, what are you what are you doing? Like, you have Aaron Rodgers, you have you're on the goal line. You're not gonna give the ball back to Tom Brady, right? Terrible decision. I, I'm pretty sure we can all agree that's a baffling, weird decision by the Packers head coach Matt LaFleur. I don't think anybody watched that and went, that's a great call. Yeah. Give the ball back to Tom Brady with two minutes left. And by the way, Tom Brady has a lead. Nobody watched that and went, that's a good move. Nobody saw it. We all can agree, right? Matt LaFleur, the head coach of the Packers, made a mistake. But now that that's out of the way, we need to talk about Aaron Rodgers. And I'm going to do it in a weird roundabout way. You're going to be like, I want to hear, but we'll, we'll get to it, right? 
I, I'm going to be scattered for a moment. This topic is going to be all around. But I want you to notice one thing. Did you notice on Sunday that leadership won both games? Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. I, I like Josh Allen, so knock against Josh Allen. I thought Patrick Mahomes is a better leader on Sunday. John, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, the better leaders won on Sunday. In the Bills-Kansas City game, first of all, at the end of the game, it got kind of chippy. And Patrick Mahomes was on the sideline pushing his players, saying, don't get on the field, don't run out there, no fight, we're not going to have it. We got a Super Bowl to win. He didn't cause trouble. He kept his teammates out of trouble. Again, we're on a mission. We got a Super Bowl to win. And then Nicole Hardman, well, I guess before that, Nicole Hardman, on the very beginning of the game, Nicole Hardman had a massive mistake. He dropped a punt. And what Patrick did, there's a really great clip of him. He goes up. He's positive. He encourages him, said, hey, we got you. We need you. You're going to make a big play later. And guess what? Nicole Hardman bounced back, made a great play later. There's a real thing to positive, encouraging leadership. And we saw the Buccaneers post-game. They love Tom Brady. Did anybody watch the celebration after the NFC Championship game? <laughs> the, the Buccaneers were so excited to share that moment and have that moment for their starting quarterback, Tom Brady. The team loves him. The players love him. Even their coach, Bruce Arians, he gave Tom Brady credit. He said that Tom gave them the hope and belief that they could win a Super Bowl. And it's kind of weird. Usually coaches want to take some credit. Bruce Aarons deflected the credit, gave it all to Tom Brady. And then even cooler was in Tom Brady's postgame interview, like in the open stadium at the podium. He says he answers two questions and goes, all right, guys, let's get somebody else at the podium. He didn't want the attention on him. He wanted to make about the other people on his team. I love that. I think it's awesome. And in my opinion, I've said this before. I'll say it again. You can see and you can hear good leadership. It's very, very obvious. You're encouraging people around you. You're rallying your teammates. You're a galvanizing leader. Gardner Minshew has that, uh, that quality of a quarterback. I don't, I don't love Gardner Minshew, but he's, he's a galvanizing leader of nothing else. But good leadership looks like bringing people together. And I have a lot to say about the Packers quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. I'm not going to make people happy. I know that. Uh, I, don't, I don't really care. It's not my job to make people happy at this point. It's my job to say what I believe. Uh, I did play quarterback in college. Now, it's a lower level. I'm not trying to say I... I, of course, I didn't play quarterback in the NFL. It's a little bit different. I understand that. But I've been a starting quarterback of a football team. I understand what it's like and how you're supposed to conduct yourself when you are the, the guy in a building, part of a football program. And again, it's my job to be honest. I have to say what I believe. And I, I got to say, I will never, ever understand the reluctance of the football world to hold Aaron Rodgers accountable. I don't understand it. Why does nobody ever talk about the negative side of Aaron Rodgers? I, I don't get it. He's treated like a god. He's like, oh, the mighty Aaron Rodgers. Ah, and it's actually starting getting to the point where I think we have to ask ourselves, are you an Aaron Rodgers fan or are you a Green Bay Packers fan? And here's how you decide. If Aaron Rodgers left Green Bay tomorrow and then next year Green Bay played Aaron Rodgers' new team, who would you root for? Green Bay or Aaron Rodgers? If you root for Aaron Rodgers, you're an Aaron Rodgers fan. If you're still rooting for Green Bay, you're a Green Bay Packers fan. And I think a lot of people out there are more of an Aaron Rodgers fan than a Green Bay Packers fan at this point. And I get it. He's your quarterback. But also, I, what I don't understand is if you're a Packers fan, if you are, forget Aaron, if you're a Packers fan true, through and through, then you're paying that guy a ton of money. He's the face of your franchise. And I don't understand why everybody's so in, in such a hurry to defend him. 
It seems like if he's the guy, if he's, for example, I, I love the company Nintendo. I expect greatness from Nintendo. When they don't give me good stuff, I go, I'm not going to buy that. Like, give me something better. Like, you hold things you love accountable. If you're a Packers fan, why does nobody ever hold Aaron Rodgers accountable for what he does? Again, I think Aaron's an amazingly talented quarterback. I love him. I think he's maybe the most gifted thrower of the football we've ever seen. Him, uh, Dan Marino's in there, Patrick Mahomes. Like one of the all-time greats at throwing the football. Very, very talented. But I don't believe Aaron Rodgers is a good leader. And oh, I, know, I can feel the ra- I got a wave of anger from the other side of the screen just now. But do you notice that people always, 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 people always make excuses for Aaron Rodgers. It's always something, and it's never Aaron's fault. For years, it was, oh, his defense isn't good enough, or he needs a new head coach, or he needs more receivers. Get get him good receivers, and then he can win. It's a weird double standard where Aaron Rodgers is treated like a god. (laughs) But if he's... Got a godlike status. Why can't he win with the current Packers team? You got a great head coach. You got a fantastic defense. You got Devontae Adams, a great receiver. You got two running backs. Where is the production? Right? I, the defense thing is gone. You you picked off Tom Brady three times in the NFC Championship game. Your defense stopped Tom Brady. Multiple. You had the ball four minutes off. Like I don't, I don't know how people are not. Pointing the finger at Aaron Rodgers. We all want to point the finger at Matt LaFleur. And I thought Matt LaFleur made a terrible mistake in that game. Fourth and goal from the eight-yard line. Two minutes left. You got to go for it, right? Don't kick the field goal there. However, I also want to point out, did anybody see on TV Aaron Rodgers arguing the call? Saying, ah, we should go. No, Aaron Rodgers didn't push back. (laughs) Aaron's like, he took it. He accepted it. And we can't use the excuse. The defense isn't a problem anymore. He's got a way better coach than Mike McCarthy. He's got, even if you want to blame the coach for the loss, for, or sorry, for the, the field goal call at the end of the game, sure. I, I'm really getting tired of the receiver thing. It's like, we should have drafted a receiver. Okay, okay. Do you realize, and, and this is a bit of a cheap shot, but it's true. Tom Brady won Super Bowls when his best receiver was named Troy Brown. Not really a star. But Aaron Rodgers, the godlike status quarterback, has an amazing receiver, Devontae Adams. And it's not like, Alan Lazard or Marquez Valdez-Cantling are not making plays. They're doing great stuff. He's got good receivers around him making plays, and yet everybody always wants to find a reason to blame something other than Aaron Rodgers. People always, Packers fans, always make an excuse for Aaron rather than saying, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're supposed to be Aaron stinking Rodgers. You're a god. We're paying you a ton of money. You're the face of the franchise. Why are you not delivering? Why can't you make it happen? And then what about second or third and goal? We, we talk about fourth and goal with the coach. Should have kicked the field goal or should have gone for the touchdown rather than kick the field goal. Fair enough. But second and goal, third and goal. I, I thought Aaron had a, a window where he could have run and he didn't run. He threw the ball. He, he didn't put his body on the line. I think of John Elway diving into the end zone, getting scissored in the air, like doing the, what's it called? The, the, the dive where he gets, he dives, gets nailed in the air, putting his body on the line. We don't have a moment like that from Aaron Rodgers at the end of that game. He didn't make it happen. And yet nobody, nobody wants to point the finger at Aaron Rodgers. But then let's talk about after the game. (laughs) After the game, in the post-game press conference, Aaron threw his head coach under the bus. He was talking about the fourth and goal decision to kick a field goal. He said, that wasn't my decision. (laughs) He totally blames the coach, says, it wasn't my call. 
That, that's on Matt LaFleur. Well, wow, great leadership there. Oh, and by the way, he said his future was uncertain. So he blamed the coach. By the way, blamed the coach for a decision that I never saw him saying, hey, we should have gone. He, he never in the moment. In the moment, he could have said, hey, no. I saw Lamar Jackson this year refuse to run off the field because he knew we got to go for it. We're, we're going for it on fourth down. We're not kicking the field goal. Why didn't Aaron say, hey, we're not kicking the field goal here? No, he, he, didn't, he didn't push back at all. Yeah, he went with it, right? Okay. Now he wants to throw his coach under the bus. It's not my call. Your, your problem, not mine. And then he says, well, my future is uncertain after the, after the game in the press conference. So what did Aaron Rodgers do post-game? He created doubt and division. And again, you can see and you can hear good leadership. Good leadership is bringing people together. Exactly the opposite of what Aaron Rodgers did post-game. And then has anybody watched Aaron Rodgers on the field? Did anyone see the moment that there's a clip where Aaron Rodgers is talking to a person at defense? He does a very impersonal, like, talking kind of like an angry dad goes, you need to stop them. But the guy's like, he's not even looking. He doesn't even turn his body to look at the guy. He goes, you need to stop them. Well, the guy's like over here off to his right. Doesn't even look at him. Looks like a stern, angry father rather than an encouraging leader. And I, I am so tired of Aaron Rodgers' cold demeanor. There's no joy. There's no excitement. He is he having fun? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. It's, again, cold demeanor. And when you watch Tom Brady, he's encouraging. He's having fun. Uh, the body language is totally different. And you do realize that Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers have the same number of NFC championship wins, right? They've both won one of them. How many Super Bowls does uh, Aaron Rodgers have? One, and that's that's great. But that was ten years ago. That's twenty ten. It's been ten years since Aaron Rodgers won a Super Bowl, and ten years later, right after winning the Super Bowl, now it's been ten years, right? Now he's got more money. He's more famous, and it's really hard to not let success and money and fame change you. Uh, I've had like no, I, I've got like what 162,000 subscribers. Even me, I've had to check myself a lot, being like, hey, I, I got to be careful not to let my ego get too big. And I'm nobody. Can you imagine if you're Aaron Stick and Rogers on every single commercial? It'd be, it would genuinely be hard to keep yourself in check. But I truly believe that if you watch Aaron Rodgers, the way he walks around, the way he talks to people, his attitude, his body language, I, I really believe he thinks he's better than everybody else. And y you see in the press conferences, you see the way he carries himself. It's always somebody else's fault rather than his. I think a good leader after that game says, I got to deliver on those goal-to-go situations. They got stopped on first, second, third, and goal on two different drives where Aaron, I thought, there was a play where on third and goal earlier in the game, he had Alan Lazard wide open underneath and forced it to Devontae Adams. So there's no accountability from Aaron. I think most quarterbacks take accountability more than they should. Aaron, I feel like, I feel like Aaron never takes accountability. And that's that's weird. That's your franchise quarterback. You're paying a lot of money. You're paying him a lot of money, and he's not acting like a franchise quarterback. I just I, I played the position, not at a high level like Aaron, but I played in college, and I, I've been a starting quarterback. And I, I look at it like, that's not how you conduct yourself if you are the face of the program. No matter what level you are, you got to conduct yourself better than Aaron did this past weekend and the way he always has. It's just, it's really, it's been building and building for me. And I'm getting tired of having nobody else call that out. It feels like people are so, especially Packers fans, they're in such a hurry to defend the guy rather than hold his feet to the fire and hold him accountable, hold him to a higher standard. 
clearly Aaron is amazingly talented, but I don't see any graciousness. I don't see any warmth, not his body language. And talent alone is not going to win you a Super Bowl. Not, not anymore. It's, you have to, you know, I made a joke with my dad watching the game. I said, maybe the Packers have to upgrade to Jordan Love so they can get over the hump and get to a Super Bowl. Maybe Aaron's the problem. And that's, that's silly. I was kind of joking, but I mean, look, two years in a row, Aaron hasn't delivered for years and years and years. People make excuse after excuse after excuse. Two years in a row, now Aaron's had a good team, a good coach, good receivers, a good defense. And you can say, wow, hey, he's had Devontae Adams and Marquez Valdez-Scantling made play after play down the stretch. He played a great game. So I'm, I'm getting tired of all the excuses for Aaron. Two years in a row now, an NFC championship berth and not a victory. He's given a godlike status. He's defended and talked about like he is the best to ever play, especially by Packers fans. And yet I'm not seeing the delivery. So, look, I, I'm really getting tired of people worshiping Aaron Rodgers, the cold demeanor, the lack of results. I, he plays very well. He's got a, he has a good regular season, puts up a lot of good numbers. But in, in the end, I don't. I didn't see the leadership it took to win that game on Sunday. There's no encouragement. There's no warmth. There's just cold demeanor and excuses and deflecting and blaming other people. That's not how a franchise quarterback conducts himself. No matter how talented he is, I think talent reaches a ceiling. At some point, it also takes good leadership to win a Super Bowl. And I don't know that Aaron, he might have had that 10 years ago. I don't think he has it now. And I'm just getting really tired of the godlike status. The, the worshiping of Aaron Rodgers, I'm over it now. I, I'm totally done. I'm sick of it. All right, let's shift gears. One more topic before we take a break. Um, I think it's pretty obvious. The two greatest athletes of my lifetime are Tom Brady and LeBron James. So on Sunday, we saw Tom Brady win the NFC Championship. And so now Tom Brady's headed to his 10th Super Bowl in his career. He's 43 years old, played 21 years in the NFL. He's got 10 Super Bowl appearances. That's unbelievable. I read a stat, kind of crazy. Tom Brady's made 10 Super Bowls. He's played 21 years. So that's 47% of the time Tom Brady makes a Super Bowl. Steph Curry's three-point percentage in his career is 43%. What that means is that Tom Brady's more likely to go to a Super Bowl next year then Steph Curry is likely to make his next three-pointer. <laughs> That's unbelievable. That's crazy. We're never going to see that again in my lifetime, ever. And we're seeing that the Lions are about to trade Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford is 32 years old, considered a like an aging veteran quarterback. Tom Brady's 11 years older than Matthew Stafford, who's considered a veteran. He's the oldest guy of the bunch. Phillip Rivers retired. Looks like Drew Brees is going to retire. Peyton Manning retired. Like The guy left standing. Tom Brady. It's amazing what he's done. It's unbelievable. Then on Monday, I guess yesterday, in honor of the, the one-year anniversary of Kobe Bryant's death, LeBron James, 36 years old, his 18th year in the NBA, playing the Cleveland Cavaliers, his former team. LeBron James had 46 points. 46 points, 36 years old, 18 years in the league. He won an NBA title last year. He should be the favorite. The Lakers should be the favorite to win again this year. LeBron also has been to the NBA Finals 10 times. He's won four times with three different teams. One with the Cavaliers, which is a, a feat. Nobody seems to understand how amazing it is LeBron won a championship in Cleveland. Like He, he made Kyrie Irving work. He turned Cleveland for a, a nothing horrible loser town into the NBA champions. 
He won in Miami. He turned the Lakers around. I don't know what else you need to say about LeBron James. LeBron, Tom Brady, the best athletes I've ever seen in my entire life. And what's most amazing about Tom Brady and LeBron James is that they're still playing at such a high level so, so deep into their careers. Year 21 for Tom. Year 18 for LeBron. And part of it, sure, is modern medicine. I think that uh, health science is a lot farther along than it was when Wilt Chamberlain played or Michael Jordan played. But the biggest part of why LeBron and Tom are still around is because of their commitment to their bodies and commitment to taking care of their bodies. They spend a ton of money on the process of taking care of their bodies and eating the right stuff and hiring the right people. And they spend a ton of money to take care of themselves. They sacrifice a lot. What we're seeing from Tom and LeBron is total mastery of what they're doing. And, and I think LeBron more so than Tom is just a freak of nature. He's tall. He moves like a guy that should not be able to move at his size. But then there's something that's often overlooked about Tom Brady and LeBron James. It's not just that, not that well, two things really. It's number one, it's that, first of all, Tom and LeBron are still hungry, which I, it's kind of amazing. They're both still working incredibly hard. They've won championships. They got a ton of money. LeBron and Tom, they got enough money now. They could buy a private island in the Pacific, disappear forever, live on the beach, live in the sand, have a great life, never see for them again. They could do that if they wanted. They could just disappear, have an amazing life, never work again in their entire lives. Read books, play video games, hang out. But they love their sports. They love fighting for championships. They love their teammates. The drive that Tom Brady and LeBron James have is amazing. To be this point in their career, still fighting for more. It's when they don't have to. They don't need to. They want to. And they love it. And they're great leaders. They bring people together. And they got vision. They kind of, there's a quality to LeBron and Tom Brady that it, it, there's a, a level of thought beyond just next year. They think about their career. Like Tom Brady chose the perfect team to go to. We've seen LeBron James, first of all, change the NBA by leaving his, the team he was signed with originally. He went to the Cavaliers, was drafted by them, the hometown team. He was not afraid to do something crazy and outside the box and different. And leave. I'm going to Miami. I'm chasing some. I want to win a title. Got hated for it. People, he was the villain of the NBA for a little while. And LeBron said, hey, I'll take that. I'm not afraid to be different. I'm afraid, I want to be myself. I want to win a ring. And then he had the vision to go to back to Cleveland, win his championship there. Then go to LA. Had the vision to make that happen, make that work. A bad year. Then bring in Anthony Davis. It's not just the drive. It's not just the leadership, which I think the leadership is so underrated from both Tom Brady and LeBron James, the way they bring people together. It's also their vision to see what their next step should be. It's so impressive. I, I love Tom. I love LeBron. I think it's so weird anybody hates on them. They seem like good guys. They do a lot of great stuff off the field, the way they carry themselves, the way they're not afraid to be different in themselves. I, I don't know how you can look at Tom Brady and LeBron James and not look up to them. I, I, if you if you hate them, either you're a fan of whatever team their rival is, and that kind of makes sense to me. But if you just hate LeBron for some ridiculous reason, I, I just how do you not look at LeBron and find that inspiring, or Tom Brady and find that inspiring? A guy that's still fighting, still and mastered their craft and doing every little thing they can to succeed. I, I it's it's very very inspiring. I, I love LeBron. I love Tom, and I, I think that what they've done is a shining example of. No matter what career you're in, of how to dominate and master your career, master your field, and master your craft. And I, I just think that we're never – you better appreciate it. You better appreciate Tom Brady. You better appreciate LeBron James because we're just not going to see anything like them ever again.
All right, guys, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll do some Super Bowl early thoughts, and uh, we'll talk about Matthew Stafford. My name is Zach Schaum. We're going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope you're doing very, very well. Let's dive in. Let's talk about the Super Bowl. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers will play the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Uh, I want to share some of my early thoughts. Now, the game is in Tampa, and the Buccaneers are the first ever team in NFL history to play a home Super Bowl. And I heard someone say, like, oh, it's, of course, the person to do that is Tom Brady. Kind of funny, like, eh, you're right. Uh, of course, it is Tom. Like, Tom, Aston Martin, the perfect hair, the supermodel wife, and of course, Tom gets to play the first ever Super Bowl in his home city. Now, if the Buccaneers win, I want to point this out, it'd be a crazy road to the Super Bowl. Tom Brady and the Buccaneers will have beaten Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, and then Patrick Mahomes. It's kind of a perfect trifecta of Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Reminds me of, well, you could say it's like the best, most impressive Super Bowl run ever. It would remind me a lot of Joe, uh, Joe Burrow's Heisman Trophy winning season. We called it the best college football season of all time. You beat three Hall of Fame quarterbacks. That's a crazy resume. It'd be a big deal. And uh, what a wild run if the Buccaneers can pull that off. Now, the Chiefs left tackle Eric Fisher just tore his Achilles. He's out for the game. He will not play. And the Buccaneers do have a really, really good pass rush. They did not allow Aaron Rodgers in the NFC Championship game to run around and extend plays behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, Shaq Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul are really good pass rushers. Plus, they got Indomitian Sue. I'm really curious if those guys can stop Patrick Mahomes and limit him from running around and keeping plays alive and making stuff happen with his legs. Uh, now, the Buccaneers match up with Kansas City, I think, a lot better than the Green Bay Packers would have. Uh, I like what they got. I think Tampa has a legitimate chance in this game, a slim one, but they have a chance where they got a ton of weapons on offense. They got two running backs, Leonard Fournette, Ronald Jones, uh, five receivers I really like, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, Scotty Miller, then a guy named Tyler Johnson, who I think he's not a big-time name, but Tyler Johnson makes a lot of plays that nobody really talks about. He had a great catch a couple weeks ago. We were like, oh, that's, that's a ridiculously good back-shoulder catch. Uh, they got two tight ends, Rob Gronkowski and Cameron Brait. And, and by the way, I want to point out, it's pretty funny that Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell, and Le'Veon Bell, the running back for Kansas City, Antonio Brown playing receiver for Tampa Bay, they're both former Pittsburgh Steelers. They're in the Super Bowl. Pittsburgh is not. They had a lot of problems on their way out. And of course, they're in the Super Bowl and Pittsburgh's watching from home. Kind of funny to me. Uh, now, the Bucks also have a solid secondary. They've got a guy, uh, Sean Murphy Bunting has really come on strong as the years come to a close. He made some really good plays, has interceptions against Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Carlton Davis is a good corner. Jamel Dean's a good corner. Uh, they got a really good safety like Antoine Winfield Jr. He's questionable, but I'm sure in the Super Bowl, banged up or not, Antoine Winfield Jr. is going to play. He's a rookie. He's done a really great job. Uh, now, home field advantage also does feel like a big deal we should talk about. Home field advantage, you're playing a Super Bowl in your own city, meaning there's no travel. Uh, you're using your own practice facility for most of it. Like it's You're comfortable the whole week, and you get to sleep in your own bed. There's fewer logistical hurdles. I think this is something that should not be overlooked. Playing a Super Bowl in your own city, it's never happened before. I think it really is actually a big advantage. Not about the crowd won't matter. I, whatever crowd is there, they're probably not Buccaneers fans. They're probably not going to be very loud. But the fact that the Buccaneers have an ease of use, like they, their logistics are easier this week uh, and the next two weeks, I guess, that's really good for them. Now, I will say, we'll, we'll see how I feel a week from now. I, I want to put out my NFL predictions for the, I guess, my Super Bowl predictions probably 
Wednesday or Thursday before the game. Hopefully Wednesday is what I'd like to do, have a lot of time. I don't think that um, – what I would hate to have happen is do it too early and have something change. I want time to watch some more film, digest what's going to happen, try to give you a really cohesive, really good predictions episode. But I will say my early thought is that it feels very – it would be irresponsible to predict Kansas City to lose this game. I don't know how you predict Kansas City to lose – uh, first of all, they've only lost two games all year, and one of them was a game where they rested all their starters week 17. So the reality is Kansas City's actually only been beat one time all year, like really their starting players. Uh, the Chiefs' defense is playing very, very well. You got to talk about their defense. They're playing great man coverage. I'm nervous. Like, can Tom Brady beat the man coverage of uh, of Kansas City? I don't know. Uh, and then honestly, I, I really, and this is not a joke. This is true. I, I have no idea how anybody can actually stop Kansas City's offense. I think you can slow them down, but you're not going to just completely stop them. You're not going to shut them down. It feels like at best, again, you slow them down. You hope that Kansas City makes a lot of mistakes. They drop some punts. They have a fumble or two. Patrick Mahomes maybe takes a big sack. If if the Chiefs kind of shoot themselves in the foot over and over again, you have a legitimate chance to beat them. But, I mean, here's a problem. You can't play man coverage against Kansas City. They got three-star receivers. They got Tyreek Hill, who's... You just can't match up a Tyree Kill one-on-one. He'll run right by you. He's incredibly fast. He's maybe the fastest guy in the entire NFL. It's really that. He's that much of a speed demon. Uh, you got McCole Hardman. He's really good. He's another guy, incredibly fast. Uh, you got tight end Travis Kelsey, who is a matchup nightmare. Linebackers can't cover him. And then corners are too small to cover him. Like, if you put a bigger body, the guy's too slow. If you put a smaller body in Travis Kelsey, then the guy's too small to make a play against a contested catch. So it, it's really a it, it's a problem. I don't know how you stop Kansas City. you got to put a body on guys in the line of scrimmage maybe, but you're not going to be able to run with them. It's it's a big, big mess. And then he plays zone coverage. If, if a defense plays zone coverage against Kansas City, the problem is that the Chiefs do a lot of stuff behind the line of scrimmage. Motions, fake handoffs. They do a lot of stuff that is distracting and misdirections, and it really can manipulate a defense if you play zone coverage. Plus, Mahomes can just run around and extend a play. I I watched Tremaine Edmonds get just absolutely embarrassed against Kansas City last week where he kept trying to do the right stuff against zone coverage. He got beat over and over and over again where he was in the right spot and Mahomes would manipulate him and move him. And it's just like, it's a mess. I don't, again, I don't know how you possibly could defend Kansas City's offense. Now, I need to watch more film. Uh, I, I want to really give you a comprehensive prediction, but it's if, if Tampa beats Kansas City, it's going to be very, very hard. They're going to need to beat man coverage, make great catches against that Kansas City defense, beating man coverage, making great. I want to see Mike Evans make a big catch or two down the sideline vertically. Uh, they need to get the ball out of Tom's hands quickly. He's got to catch and throw like a lot of quick game, a lot of even on vertical was catch it and get it out. You can't hold on to the ball too long like Josh Allen did against Kansas City. Uh, the the Buccaneers are going to have to go for it on fourth down. Again, you can't play timid. You can't play careful. You got to play balls to the wall to beat Kansas City. Uh, now You also have to hope that Kansas City is going to make some mistakes and have a fumble or a turnover or a big sack or a muff punt. And then you got to get pressure on Patrick Mahomes. And when you do that, you have to wrap him up. You can't allow him to... You can get pressure on him, but if you get pressure and you allow him to escape the pocket and run around, it's still ball game over. So... You have to get your hands on Mahomes, throw him to the turf, don't allow him to escape the pocket and run around. And so it's it's possible Tampa could win this game. It, it, there's a chance here. I'm not saying it's impossible, 
but Kansas City should be the favorite to win this game. They should be the Super Bowl favorite. And uh, I, I will say, going into the playoffs, I told people, I said, hey, Tampa Bay is dangerous. They could win a Super Bowl. They could get to a Super Bowl because they got a ton of firepower. They got good players. And it feels like Tampa has been achieving their potential, playing great on offense, playing really good defense. Tampa has a shot here, but it's a slim one. And uh, either way, I think no matter who wins, I think it's a good game just because it's it's a Super Bowl. Has Tom Brady ever played a Super Bowl that wasn't close and interesting? I just It's going to be close and competitive, uh, but I, I have a hard time. It, again, it feels irresponsible to make a prediction where the, the Chiefs lose. It feels like it's Kansas City's game to lose, and then can Tampa make enough plays and disrupt enough to pull out the win? Those are my early thoughts on the Super Bowl. Uh, we're two weeks out. We'll see how I feel next Wednesday after watching some more film and diving in, but those are my early thoughts on the Super Bowl coming up two weeks from now. Now, to end the show, I want to shift gears to Detroit. Let me drink some water real quick first. I'm really hungry. It's very early in the morning. I haven't eaten yet. My stomach is growling like crazy. I can feel it. Um, It was just announced that the Detroit Lions are going to be trading their quarterback, Matthew Stafford. And, uh, man, it's it's said to be a mutual agreement. It's said to be like, yeah, we came to terms. We both agreed it's best. But the reality to me, it's probably that. And the rumor is, I'm not just saying this. It's also a rumor that uh, Stafford likely wants out. He probably said, hey, I want to trade. I want to get out. Um, now, I'm really curious. Does that mean he doesn't believe in Dan Campbell? Is that like, hey, I don't, this new coach, I'm not down for this. I don't want to work with this guy. Uh, or what I think is more likely is that, Matthew Stafford, regardless of the coach, just doesn't want to be in Detroit anymore. He probably wants a chance to go somewhere and compete for a Super Bowl. And I think he realizes, like, I love Detroit. I had a good time here. But it's just, it's, I don't know if good times the right way to put it. He's like, I've been committed to this team and the city, but it's just not worked out. It's not happened for me. And Matthew Stafford has had three different head coaches. He had Jim Schwartz, Jim Caldwell, then Matt Patricia. And they've built, they've rebuilt, like they've rebuilt their entire team around Matthew Stafford, not once, not twice, but three different times. And uh, in that pursuit, they've only had four winning seasons. So it's not been pretty. It's not been good. Uh, And some of those winning seasons were like nine and seven twice. So like it's, it's not been a good run for Matthew Stafford in Detroit. And it's not really all his fault. It's kind of sad. I believe, first of all, I think it benefits Detroit to trade him. They can get some, probably some good trade value, a good draft pick or two. They can restart with a young quarterback. If you're going to rebuild your franchise, you probably want to get a young gun who can really, truly jumpstart your franchise. A guy like Zach Wilson or Justin Fields. Uh, Plus, I think it's also weirdly, it's kind of the honorable thing to do. Matthew Stafford has done so much for Detroit. feels like the right thing to do to let the guy walk at the end of his career, go try to win before he retires. Uh, And then also forcing a quarterback. If, If Matthew Stafford really does want out of Detroit, it's, it's not healthy to force a quarterback to play for you. Uh, that happened with Carson Palmer in Cincinnati where if the guy doesn't want to be there, even if he's like trying to gut it out and give you his best effort, it's, it's just not healthy or right to have a guy who really hates playing there try to be your franchise guy. It's just not, it's not a good healthy relationship or conducive. Uh, I think if Matthew Stafford really did say I want out, I, I'm pretty sure Detroit can recognize, yeah, if the guy doesn't want to be here, it's not right and or helpful for us to force him to be here. Let's trade him while we can and get good value for him. I would imagine that the Lions already have the phone ringing like crazy. There's probably a lot of really great trade offers already. They're waiting. They're listening. They're negotiating, trying to get the price up higher and higher. And when I think about 
people don't understand how good Matthew Stafford is. Like, he really is a guy who, if Matthew Stafford spent his career in New Orleans or really Seattle or with a good coach and a good team around him, a good organization, Matthew Stafford might be a Hall of Fame quarterback. Like, we don't, you, people don't understand. I should do a film analysis, Matthew Stafford. People need to understand how ridiculously good Matthew Stafford is. He's not even like Philip Rivers. Uh, Philip Rivers is a good quarterback on a bad team. But I think he's I think Matthew Stafford's better than Philip Rivers, and Philip Rivers might be a Hall of Fame quarterback. So I think one of the most underappreciated quarterbacks of our generation is Matthew Stafford. And when I think of Matthew Stafford, I think of the game where he separated his shoulder uh, with like right as time expired against it was the Browns in 2009, his rookie year. And he the trainer said, You can't go in the game, it's over. And for some reason, the Browns called the timeout, which allowed Matthew Stafford, who went out of the game injured, to come back in the game. And with no time on the clock and a separated shoulder, Matthew Stafford threw the game-winning touchdown. It's like, it's so unbelievable. That's the kind of guy, when we talk about Matthew Stafford, he is. he's an amazing quarterback who's put everything on the line, got a ton of fourth-quarter comebacks. He's a ridiculously good quarterback who's just wasted his entire career with a terrible, terrible organization. Now, there are a number of teams that could potentially trade for Matthew Stafford. The Colts are number one to a lot of people. My number one team that I want to see Matthew Stafford on is the Denver Broncos. I really look at Denver and go, if you add Matthew Stafford to that team, a team that's got a ton of really good players, if they add Stafford and if they can trade away Drew Locke and a draft pick, they have the number nine overall pick. If you can trade away draft picks and a a Drew Locke, who's not going to be a starter for you if you trade him away, if you can keep your starting players you already have, then Matthew Stafford makes you a Super Bowl team. I mean, here's what they would have just on offense alone. Two running backs, Melvin Gordon, Phillip Lindsay, if they both come back. Uh, receivers, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, Tim Patrick. Two tight ends, Noah Fant, who is a star. People don't understand how good Noah Fant is. He's a star in the making. He just needs a good quarterback to get him the ball consistently. They got Nick Vanette, another good tight end. They got a good offensive line. They invested heavily in building their offensive line. They've got a great defense. Again, the Lions have the number nine overall pick. Sorry, the, the Denver Broncos have the number nine overall pick. If you trade the number nine pick for Matthew Stafford, maybe some other draft picks too. I mean, I'll trade you a first, second, and third to keep every starter I have and add Matthew Stafford. Denver could win a Super Bowl next year, and the Lions would get two top ten picks. And then also you're trading Matthew Stafford out of the NFC to the AFC, so you're playing a team you wouldn't play in the playoffs. You're never going to run into Matthew Stafford in the playoffs or just generally. So if you can trade Matthew Stafford to Denver, that's a great move. Uh, there's a couple other good choices. A lot of people love the Colts. They got a good team. I think, personally, I think Denver's receiving core is better. They got a really good offensive coordinator. They got a lot of weapons, a good offensive line. Uh, now, the Colts probably run the ball better, but I, it's a coin toss. I, I can see both. Uh, I, I think Matthew Stafford would be happy to be with Denver or with the Colts. Now, the thing is that Denver has a better draft pick, the number nine pick, versus the Colts have a much later pick because they made the playoffs, so... Um, Denver can probably give a better trade package for Matthew Stafford. Uh, Washington has a good defense. They could trade for Matthew Stafford, although they don't have as many weapons on offense. I, if I'm Matthew Stafford, I don't know that I would want to go and see Washington. You have the 49ers. To work with Kyle Shanahan uh, and, and play with the 49ers, now they lost their defensive coordinator. That's a big deal. They do have the number 12 overall pick. Uh, they could trade that for Stafford and some other, some other picks. Uh, the Patriots are rebuilding. But they do have Bill Belichick. They do have 
a ton of cap room. They could trade the 15th overall pick for Stafford. Uh, the Saints, if Drew Brees retires, that could be a good spot. I, I want to see Matthew Stafford go to the 49ers, or really my top two teams are Denver or the Colts. Denver has very little change happening there. Uh, the Colts have, they're only losing their offensive coordinator who didn't even call plays in Indianapolis. So my top two teams for Matthew Stafford are the Colts and Denver. Now, if Matthew Stafford does get traded, he has to sign off on the trade. So I'm sure that he's going to tell D- Detroit, like, hey, here are the teams I want to go to. He can facilitate a trade to some degree. And uh, I think the Patriots are farther from a Super Bowl. If I'm Matthew Stafford, like, the Patriots are cool. Like, they've won before. But I'd rather go to a team that's got a loaded roster with good receivers and good weapons. And I think the sleeper here, again, Denver. Everyone's talking about Indianapolis. Denver's a team. They got that tight end, Noah Fant. They got great receivers, a really good defense. If I am Matthew Stafford, my number one team would be the Denver Broncos. And I think a lot of people, because I, I would imagine Matthew Stafford wants to win a Super Bowl. He wants to play, win, have fun. He's had four winning seasons in his entire career. That's very sad. He's 32 years old. The guy wants to end on a high note. And uh, the Jets are in the mix. People say the Jets should trade for Matthew Stafford. I think the Jets are better off trading for Deshaun Watson. I don't know that if you can trade Deshaun Watson for the number two overall pick, I'd also rather have Deshaun Watson than Matthew Stafford. He's younger. I think he's probably, he's elite. He's amazing. Uh, so I think the Jets, people are saying that the Jets are in the Matthew Stafford conversation. I think the Jets are in the Deshaun Watson conversation, really. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I'm excited for the Matthew Stafford trade. Like, I think finally Matthew Stafford might win some games and potentially get the recognition he deserves. And he's, he's still, he's 32 years old. Like, he's not, he, he's 11 years younger than Tom Brady. I don't think he's going to play as long as Tom Brady. But Matthew Stafford has some good football left in him. And uh, I, I think if he can go to a good team, win some games, that's really going to help. Forget, like, winning. It's going to help the legend of Matthew Stafford. People are going to start to recognize, oh, yeah, Matthew Stafford's amazing. He really deserves way more respect than he's ever gotten. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. That is all I have. I love you. I appreciate you. Uh, ask Zach tomorrow or the next day. I'm working on stuff. I love you. I appreciate you. hope you have a great day. Ba-dum-bum. Bam. We are done.